guys, and welcome to the Moms and Mysteries podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Amanda, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Um, what? <laughs> you can't just do that to me. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. No, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking? What are we talking about? Legal names? Yes, Amanda. Yeah, Amanda. I don't know. I've kind of been into it. So wait, what? <laughs> this is the thing. Yeah. No. So okay. So I won't really change my name for the purpose of the podcast because it just doesn't make sense to, <laughs> to not be Mandy. But. How weird is this? Actually, I'm very curious to hear how weird you actually think this uh-huh. is. So like I <laughs> So, lately I've been thinking about going back to Amanda like in my regular life. Is it weird or is it not weird to go back to your full name after you've been called a nickname for like 15 years? Is it weird? Okay. So it makes more sense when we went to Chick-fil-A and they said Amanda and I was like, "Amanda, what did you do that okay. for?" I wondered if you would remember that because I've actually been doing that a lot lately. Like when I'm asked for my name out in public for whatever reason, like to give give a name, right. I've been saying Amanda and it's even been surprising me. I've been like, who am I? Why am I saying Amanda all the time now? But I'm like, you know what? I kind of like it. Okay. But, but are you having a midlife <laughs> crisis? Is like, because I feel like I should that be having was my, one. Uh, that was my next question for you. Am I having a midlife crisis? Honestly, <laughs> I don't know if it's because I turned 40 and like I know that's when you kind of, you know, people talk about having midlife crisis then or if I like am having one, but there are days where I'm like the things I'm thinking and the thoughts I'm having, I'm like, I maybe this is the beginning of it. I'm about to have a total break from reality, (laughs) Um, but I haven't thought to change my name. So this is interesting. Yeah. Well, and it is, well, I mean, maybe it all makes sense. I, my birthday is coming up. Maybe I've just been deeply contemplating yeah. who I am. And, and <laughs> it's, this is not, I'm not prepared for this. I got no warning on, I mean, I did get the Chick-fil-A thing, but I don't know why I just was like, okay. Um, I thought you were just being funny. I mean, yeah. both names are great. It's interesting. You know, yeah. So I actually polled my like what is happening? <laughs> Facebook friends and family, people who have known me for years and years. And 70% of people who responded, <gasps> there was a lot of responses, said that I should go back to Amanda. Okay. We don't have to stay on this topic. No, no, no. I just need you to consider. Uh, apparently, <laughs> this is life-changing. Okay, I was not prepared for this. I say whatever you want to be yeah. called, I will call you. I have just been waiting to record this episode so that I could spring this on you in the beginning. I've been like, this is it. Um, this is how I'm going to tell Melissa. I'm just going to go right in as Amanda and see what reaction I get. Is that the reaction that you thought? I don't know. Just pure confusion. We haven't recorded in a whole week, so I'm already like off my game. I'm never even on my game. And so this just really took me for a loop. I will call you whatever <laughs> you want. Um, oh. And you can call me Al. Okay. <laughs> you know the song, right? You no. can call me Al uh, by um, – uh, I don't. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you get mad at me when I don't know that you like uh, Stevie Nicks. And then when I quote a song from around the same time, you're like, don't know it. Why would I know that? <laughs> well, there's a song called Mandy and Amanda, so you can go either way. Oh, there's a song called mm-hmm. Amanda? I'm going to look it up. Yeah. It's going to be my new anthem. There- <laughs> there's anthems <laughs> now? I need to just go ahead and have my midlife crisis because this is – I'm not kidding <laughs> But as you were saying, your birthday's coming up when this records. It'll be this Friday. So yay. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. 
I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday. We won't get into the holiday talk because we've talked about a mambo <laughs> uh, enough. So let's get into the episode, Mandy. What do you say? I say, let's do it. In October of 2005, Christy Wilson ventured out to a California casino for a night of gambling. When she didn't return home, her boyfriend reported her as missing, but not until a few days later. Through the casino surveillance footage, law enforcement discovered that Christy had left the casino that night with an unidentified man, and investigations revealed that this man had a dangerous past with a previous record of assaulting women. Authorities spent weeks searching for the missing woman, but weren't successful at locating her or her body until 15 years later. Christy Lynn Wilson was born on January 10, 1978 in California to parents Debbie and Dennis. Christy was described by her mom as being driven, organized, and goal-oriented, and she was also known for her academic achievements. Christy was known and loved for her huge heart, her outgoing nature, and her love for animals. She was also the type of person who always tried to see the best in people. According to her best friend, Christy enjoyed joking around and having a great time, and this made her a really fun person to be around. Her mom further shared that Christy was also a romantic, and she always had this vision of a future for herself that included marriage, children, and just really this traditional white picket fence type of lifestyle. Christy was in frequent contact with her friends and family through phone calls and emails, and those relationships were really important to her. Her stepfather, Pat, was a sergeant with the San Jose police. He had always warned Christy and her sister about protecting themselves in case of an attack. He would even give them tips on how they should act if they ever were to be attacked. Some of these tips included that they should tell their attacker that they even had a venereal disease, which sounds kind of like the most random thing to include here, but it actually does come up again later. Christy and her sister also took kickboxing classes together, and Christy was really well-trained in how to defend herself and to just be aggressive if she had to be. Christy graduated from Chico State in 2000 with a degree in production operations management. Despite working in various high-tech industries, she faced challenges in finding a good fit for her career. Sometimes she went through bouts of unemployment. She eventually ended up in Sacramento, California, where she met a guy named Danny that she had this on-again, off-again relationship with. And her parents and friends really just didn't think that highly of Danny. The couple fought regularly, and they had a lot of stress over jobs or the lack of jobs, and their disagreements included things down to the differences in their lifestyles. In March of 2005, Christy and Danny got into a fight over a cell phone, and things ended up turning physical. Danny called the police, and both of them got arrested, although neither of them would face any prosecution. Danny was mildly injured in this argument, and he had scratch marks on his torso and neck from the fight. By the fall of 2005, Christy had found a promising lead on a job at Zoom Iwerks in Berkeley. She interviewed with the company twice already and had followed up with the vice president of the company by email on October the 3rd, and in that email, she was just expressing her continued interest in taking this position. A final interview was set up for October the 7th, but Christy sadly would not make it to this interview. On October 4th, 27-year-old Christy exchanged voicemails with her mom and sent an email with a picture of her cat dressed up for Halloween to several of her friends and family. Later that evening, sometime before 7 p.m., Christy went to the Thunder Valley Casino. Gambling was actually something that Christy really struggled with, and she'd even gotten to the point where she was borrowing money from others to gamble. And this, of course, greatly concerned her family, as well as her boyfriend, Danny. 
On the evening of the 4th, Danny had gone to a family get-together that he didn't invite Christy to go to, and when he returned home that night, Christy wasn't there. Danny then invited a friend to come over and hang out. At about 10 p.m., Christy called Danny and told him she was about to leave the casino and that she'd be coming home soon. So Danny ends up going along with his night and goes to bed at around 2 a.m., but Christy never came home. The next day, which was October 5th, Danny tried calling Christy several times, but she didn't answer or return his calls. After that, he started calling around to hospitals and jails, just looking for her, but she wasn't at any of them. Later that night, Danny went out with some friends and had dinner, and the friends hear that Christy's missing and they offer to go to the casino to look for her, but Danny said no. The following day, which is now October 6th, Danny went to the casino himself and ended up finding Christy's car there, so he decided to go inside, assuming that she would be there. Danny asked the casino to check Christy's player card and to page her while he walked around looking for her. While Danny was waiting for the pit boss, he played a few hands of blackjack and called a close friend of Christie's who said they also hadn't spoken to her since earlier that week. When Danny didn't find Christy at the casino that day, he called her parents and told them that he was going to file a missing persons report. And that's when he called the police. So Christy's stepdad, who was a San Jose police sergeant, also called authorities to report her disappearance. Soon, an officer responded to the call and met with Danny, who was cooperative and very concerned for Christy's whereabouts. Danny allowed them to search the apartment and gave them access to his computer and phone records, as well as giving a two-hour taped interview. He was fully cooperative with everything the police asked of him. After speaking with Danny, the officer went to the casino and found Christy's car. He also contacted the casino's surveillance supervisor, and he was able to obtain the footage from the night that Christy went to the casino. On this footage, Christy could be seen walking with a man, and she was going towards his car at 1.13 a.m. The man tried to put his arm around Christy, but she shrugged him off and denied his advance. What happened next was hard to fully see on the surveillance footage, but bits and pieces were able to be seen and strung together. What police do know is that after Christy and this man walked out of view from the camera and into the darkness, Christy was never seen alive again. The footage showed four flashes from a car's headlights and then two more flashes. So these flashes were similar to the flashes that are caused, you know, whenever you try to unlock or lock your car with the keyless entry lock, um, signifying, you know, that you've either locked or unlocked the vehicle. Three minutes and 41 seconds after those first flashes, headlights in the same vicinity come on and they see a white car leaving the parking lot. An LAPD specialist was able to enhance this video and confirm that there was only one person inside of that white car as it was leaving. The car turned right on Athens Road and continued westbound. Christy was not seen returning to her own vehicle after this. There were no reports of a struggle or any cries for help coming from the parking lot that night. Christy's case was passed on to the Placer County Sheriff's Department and a wide-scale search began. Search and rescue experts were brought in as well as dogs, but the search turned up nothing. There was just no sign of Christy. So investigators moved on to the next big question. Who was this man that was seen leaving with Christy that night? Thankfully, this was extremely easy for them to figure out. 
Since this man had been at the casino, there is plenty of footage of him and his movements. So they were able to actually identify him through his player's card, and his name was Mario Flavio Garcia, who was a man in his early 50s. Police began to interview witnesses, including casino patrons and staff, those people that could also be seen on the surveillance footage from that night to really learn more about the events leading up to Christie's disappearance. So they learned that when Christie arrived at the casino, she headed straight to the blackjack tables, and this is where she first met Mario. At around 9.30 p.m., they both sat at blackjack table 36, where they sat for about three and a half hours. Christy appeared to be happy, and she was seen drinking alcohol, and she and Mario were being very friendly towards each other. Christy stated that her boyfriend had hit her and pulled her hair earlier that morning, and she raised her arm to show a bruise. She also talked about losing her job and getting a new one that would allow her to travel the world. Mario then told her that he could also get her a job. At one point, Mario bought a glass of wine for Christy, and then another man at the table bought a bottle for the whole table to share. As the night wore on, both Christy and Mario grew more intoxicated and loud. By the end of the night, they were hugging and kissing each other as if they were boyfriend and girlfriend. So Christy started losing at the blackjack table, and she began borrowing money from Mario just to be able to keep playing. She also went on to borrow money from another man at the table. But the more hands that Christy lost, the more verbally aggressive she became, and the scene they were causing really attracted the attention of the employees there that night. Just before the casino was about to kick the two of them out, Mario and Christy left and headed out of the parking lot at 1.13 a.m. This was the last time Christy was ever seen alive. And we still have more to get into after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. heard of ugly sweater parties, but what about festive eyewear parties? Okay, those aren't a thing just yet, but thanks to Pear Eyewear, next year, they just might be. Pear Eyewear has amazing glasses and sunglasses, but beyond that, they have fun top frames that can be switched at a moment's notice and can be just as festive as you are. Take their new jolly assortment that features snowy scenes, classic plaids, yuletide activities, and your favorite festive hues. I got a new pair of glasses from Pear, and I love them. They're so easy to change out the frames so I can change them to match my outfit or my mood. I've already gotten so many compliments on them. I chose a base pair of sunglasses in Casper with a crystal clear frame. The frames themselves are a classic style shape, but the clear color makes them more modern. And then I added a Diet Coke top frame, which is so adorable. I love how easy it is to switch out top frames and of course, all the amazing options for other ones. If you have someone on your Christmas list and you just don't know what to get them, check out Pear Sunglasses. There are so many categories, including Coca-Cola, NBA, and even Harry Potter. But the best part is how affordable they are. You can save on those traditional glasses markups with base frames that start at just $60 and top frames that start at $25. Make every look merry with Pear Eyewear. Take advantage of Pear's holiday sale. Go to PearEyewear.com and use code HOLIDAY20 for 20% off your first pair. And be sure to mention that Moms and Mysteries sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's Pear, P-A-I-R, Eyewear.com, code HOLIDAY20. Tis the season for cold and sickness. Fa la 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 cough. 
But seriously, this time of year, you're just one holiday a hug from the dreaded cold or worse. On top of that, a lot of doctors work reduced schedules this time of year or are even on vacation. So finding a doctor when you're sick right now can feel next to impossible. That's why this year, I'm thankful for ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, who are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. On top of getting into a doctor right away, you can schedule your appointment online, which means none of the panic of explaining your symptom to a receptionist after they simply asked your name. In a recent study, 99% of humans hate speaking on the phone. And sure, I pulled that statistic out of the air, but I've got to believe it can't be very far off. And beyond the colds and illnesses this time of year, sometimes things come up that we want answers for right away. And we don't want to wait weeks or even months to be seen. That's actually one of my favorite parts about ZocDoc, the convenience and the speed in which I can be seen or even get my kids in to be seen. We use this and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com mysteries and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash mysteries. ZocDoc.com slash mysteries. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about the final moments of a woman named Christy Wilson, who was last seen after she had spent a night at a California casino. While she was out that night, she met a man who she was seen on the casino surveillance footage leaving the casino with that night. And this footage of her being seen with this man is the last time that she was ever seen alive. Further investigation into this man, who they found out was named Mario Garcia, revealed a terrifying truth. He was a very dangerous man with a history of hurting women. In 1978, when Mario was 27, he began dating a woman named Wendy, who later told 48 Hours about her relationship with him. Wendy said that in the beginning, Mario seemed very caring and supportive, but he did have a temper. When Wendy ended the relationship, she got a very, very scary taste of what Mario was really capable of. He grabbed her, threw her in his van, and took off. When Mario finally stopped, he grabbed Wendy by the neck and told her that if she did anything, he would, quote, take her head and smash it. Mario ordered Wendy to take her clothes off, and she said no and tried to claw and scratch her way free from his grip. Ultimately, Mario overpowered Wendy and he began choking her. He then raped her and took her back to his apartment where he held a gun to her head and pulled the trigger. The gun did not fire, and he told her, you know, well, it wasn't loaded this time, but I can come get you anytime I want. It's terrifying. So scary. He then raped her again and then just went to the kitchen to make himself a sandwich very casually before driving her home. After the rape and assault, Wendy immediately went to the hospital, and Mario was quickly arrested. Eventually, prosecutors offered Mario a deal. He ended up pleading guilty to one count of assault with a deadly weapon and was sentenced to just 18 months of probation. Oh my gosh. That is no like jail the, time. That's that's insane. It's absolutely insane. Poor Wendy, she, you know, told 48 hours that she figured it was better than nothing and she just wanted to, you know, move on from the whole thing, which is so heart like the highest level of heartbreaking 
thing for a woman to just be like, I don't know what other options, you know, we have like, this is what he got. And what could she uh, even do about it? There's nothing she can do. But how terrible that that was what he was. I mean, that's such a slap in the face. Yeah. Wendy, of course, couldn't escape the sinking feeling that something bad was going to happen to another woman with Mario out on the streets. And she wasn't wrong. Not too long after this, Mario began dating another woman named Lynette Smith. He was abusive towards her as well, but he reached the height of his rage around Christmas time after he learned that Lynette had recently terminated a pregnancy. Although Mario and Lynette celebrated Christmas together with Lynette's mom, Violet, a tragedy unfolded after that Christmas dinner. Mario, Lynette, and Violet all got into Lynette's car, but hours later, police got a call that the vehicle they were traveling in had plunged into the water near the Oakland airport. Witnesses told police that they saw the car pull over on the right side of the road and then accelerate quickly to a high rate of speed and just shoot over the ledge and into the water where the vehicle sank. Mario was miraculously the only person to survive this accident. Both Lynette and her mom were killed. According to Mario, Lynette was driving the car. He said after they hit the water, he panicked and eventually took off his seatbelt and opened a window, which did let a bunch of water into the car, but he said that he was still able to get out and swim to safety. He said that he assumed Lynette and her mom, Violet, would be able to escape the same way he did. Investigators never were able to determine who was driving the car, but they wanted to question Mario further. Unfortunately, he got a lawyer the next day. After Lynette and Violet died, Lynette's brother Tom reached out to an old friend from his hometown. And this is like the craziest coincidence. The craziest coincidence. The friend that he reached out to happened to be Wendy, who was the other woman that Mario had attacked and violently assaulted the one that he got 18 months probation for assaulting. Same Wendy. Uh, How <laughs> wild is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that couldn't happen twice, honestly. Right. So she told Tom that Mario was actually her attacker as well. And just nobody could believe the coincidence of any of this. So sadly, investigators weren't able to gather enough evidence to charge Mario with anything related to the car accident and the death of Lynette and her mother. And poor Wendy, she knew he was going to do something again. And then for it to be someone, you know, she knows through a friend, like, I I can't imagine how how terrible that would feel. Obviously, none of her fault whatsoever, but just, man, to be so close. So by 2005, Mario was married and had two teenagers, and he was working as a senior technical project manager at Sutter Health Information Technology. He was assigned to an electronic ICU project that allowed remote monitoring of several hospitals at one central location, and he was doing this over several years. During the week of October 3rd through 7th, the company was kicking off a major upgrade to this ICU project. It was the type of week at work where Mario was expected to be fully on top of his game, but he wasn't. On Monday, October 3rd, Mario worked on site all day, and on Tuesday, he worked at the data center from 10 to 5.30. He sent his supervisor an email at 5.25 p.m. and mentioned his frustration with a coworker and how he planned on having some tequila that night. Later on, he went to Thunder Valley Casino. At 7.51 the next morning, which was Wednesday, October 5th, Mario made an outgoing call on his cell phone to his wife. Records indicate that this call was not made from Mario's home, but rather from a location somewhere to the north. 
He was assigned to work at the data center that morning to meet and escort the vendors who were there making installations for the project. He was supposed to be there all day, and he even had a meeting that was scheduled that morning at 9 a.m., but he was late. One of the vendors arrived at 9.05, and Mario wasn't there. When the vendor called Mario to find out where he was, Mario said he got caught up in an accident and he was running late. He arrived shortly after 10 a.m. with scratches on his face and a burst blood vessel in his eye. He explained that he got in this injury while he was working on his tractor and a branch somehow got caught in the cage and it hit him in the eye. Despite the fact that he was late, Mario still left work about an hour after arriving. He took off at 11.14, which was very unusual for him, especially because he leaves and doesn't even bother to check in with his supervisor. On Thursday, Mario took a sick day and went to the UC Davis Ambulatory Care Center, where he reported having pain in his left eye, which he said was due to falling from a 15-foot willow tree after the branch broke. He said that his vision was blurry, and he also had a swollen lower lip and multiple abrasions on his face, torso, and arms. He was given antibiotics for a possible skin infection, and he was referred to an eye doctor for the problems he was having with his eye, but the nurse who saw him at this center did not believe that the injuries he had were consistent with what he said he got them from, which was falling from a tree. Later that same day, Mario was seen by optometrist Dr. Barnes, who noticed multiple facial abrasions, a blood blister in the eye, and a significant eye infection on the eyelid margin. But he believed the blurred vision was due to something else entirely. The nature of this eyelid injury didn't seem like it was caused by contact with a plant due to the amount of pus formation. He said the injuries were, however, consistent with being clawed or scratched with fingernails and a punch to the eye. Although Mario was supposed to be hard at work all week, he decided to work from home that Friday, and he did not get that arrangement approved. On Sunday morning, Mario went to Long's Drugs and bought a few different anti-itch creams and some laundry detergent, and he also went to the landfill to dispose of some garbage. The attendant there at the landfill noticed that Mario looked very beat up. After running these errands on Sunday, Mario was paid a visit by the detectives. They showed up at his home and found Mario in the front yard and told him they were investigating a missing persons case and that Mario had been seen in the company of the missing person. Mario appeared really nervous and he kind of looked towards his house and was explaining to the police that he had been at the casino and had lost a lot of money that night. And if his wife found out about any of this, this would just turn very bad for him. So he's kind of like doing this whole like, can you guys just like get out of here? Yeah. Yeah. He did confirm that he met Christy, but he claimed that they just happened to be leaving at the same time, but they weren't leaving together. He said that Christy had actually realized she lost her phone or left it in the casino and went back to look for it. He told the police that he and Christy were both intoxicated and that he mentioned just randomly that he wouldn't have sex with what he called a strange woman anyways because he was scared of getting some kind of STD. So naturally, investigators checked the surveillance footage to see if Christy had indeed gone back into the casino to find her phone. They ended up finding out that Christy didn't go back into the casino, but they found out she actually did leave her phone in there. It ended up being found under the blackjack table. Investigators returned to Mario's house and demanded that he give a more complete statement. 
Mario was hesitant to answer some of the questions police had for him, such as what car he was driving that night at the casino. He asked to contact his friend who was an attorney, and when the attorney friend arrived, Mario pointed the car out to the officers and drove it down to the station. And then he gave a statement. Mario's attorney friend commented on Mario's disheveled appearance, in front of the police, by the way, and said, quote, looks like somebody smacked you under the eye, end quote, which seems like the dumbest thing your attorney friend could have said in front of the police, but thank you For also. sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mario told him he had an accident with a tractor in a tree and that he had poison oak on his face. The interview began with Mario being informed that he was not under arrest, but that he was under suspicion. His statement would be voluntary, and he was free to walk out the door at any time. So Mario started talking about that night and how he went to the casino on Tuesday the 5th after work, and he admitted that he did meet Christy that night, and he probably flirted with her. He said he didn't really remember everything because he was pretty intoxicated. Mario said he did remember Christy talking about the problems with her boyfriend and struggles with her mental health and that she showed him bruises on her arm. He also said that Christy was losing big time, so he loaned her $50 and another man at the table loaned her $100. They left the casino together, but Christy was not with him. So Mario said he got home at 2 a.m., he drove up Highway 65 to Interstate 80 and went up Highway 49. Detectives said they would be checking the car for fingerprints, saliva, hair, skin, and bodily fluids, and they encouraged Mario to come clean about anything that they might find during the search. They also wanted to take a photo of his eye, and Mario's attorney said it was fine, which, by the way, this attorney, I, I would not be <laughs> Who's calling this on, guy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but Mario ends up saying no after he confirmed that he was not under arrest at the time. He was warned that refusing to allow this photo could be used against him later, and the interview ended. Detectives attempted to take a picture of Mario, but he held his hands up in front of the lens, and he left the interview room. Police later found out that after the interview, Mario used a digital camera from work to take a picture of himself, which he later deleted, but the photo was recovered and showed that Mario had marks on his chin, face, forehead, and neck, which... I'm actually surprised at this point his attorney didn't take those photos for him because this seems I like know. such a terrible idea. I know. The only thing I can think is that he was like, well, let me take a picture just to like see like what the police would see if they got a photo yeah, of it or like what that. it would look like from a, someone else's perspective. Or I mean, also just look in the mirror and mirror. see like, I know, see what you look like. But just wild. Yeah, because who knows what was going through his head at that moment. Like right after that interview, he's like, I have to take a selfie and see yeah. like what I look like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess doing it on its work thing made a little more sense, but still just yeah. like terrible <laughs> idea. On Monday, October 10th, a search warrant was issued for Mario's person, his car and his residence, but the warrants were not executed until the following day. So on Monday, un you know, when Mario still doesn't know that this search warrants have been issued he works half a day and he takes the afternoon half off on that day he went to the eye doctor again and this time he told them that he was feeling better and he also explained that these abrasions he had on his arms were from poison oak mario later emailed his workplace and he explained that he was gone due to this poison oak experience that he was having that evening, he conducted several Google searches on the computer related to the term forensics. The next day, Tuesday, October 11th, 
Mario requested to work remotely, and he once again said that he was having personal issues that were preventing him from coming to the office. At 5.17 p.m., he ended up going to his supervisor and showed that he had these welts on his forearm that he had covered with a white lotion. And his supervisor noticed on this day that Mario was also sporting a beard, which was a new thing. He had, like, just grown this. As we said before, this was the day, Tuesday, that the search warrants were also issued. So that evening, Mario actually went on his computer again, and he searched for information on Penal Code Section 1524, and this is a section that is concerning warrants. When his residence was searched, they asked Mario about the clothes that he had worn to the casino on that night, and Mario told them that his wife probably already took them to the cleaners. So when the police asked his wife about the clothes, she actually pointed out some clothes that were draped over a piece of exercise equipment that was in the couple's bedroom. And she said that the last visit to the cleaners was a drop-off on October the 3rd and a pickup on the 6th. Basically, she was saying, like, I haven't taken anything to the cleaners in the right. last, you know, couple of days. The police found printouts on the kitchen table of evidence code sections 911 through 919. And the information in these specific sections concerned privileges and state bar master rules. I don't really know what that means or why he was looking at it, but it seems suspicious. Yeah. I mean, the privileges, I was thinking marital privilege. You know how, mm. like, you're not forced to testify against your uh, spouse? Maybe, yes. Actually, that's, that's all I probably, could think. Yeah, you're probably right about that. They also did find chips from the casino in his dresser drawer. They'd brought in cadaver dogs to do a search of Mario's property, but the search ended up turning up nothing relevant. Mario's car, which was a 2004 Toyota Camry, was searched and appeared to have been recently cleaned and vacuumed. A hair was found wedged in the exterior front passenger door handle, and this hair was actually thoroughly examined. I learned a little bit of something new here with this because I just didn't. I knew hair was like very complicated, but I didn't know they had like so many states and ways yeah. they classified it. So this specific hair that they found was in what they called the catagen state. And so that means it was transitioning from growing to dead. And so therefore, that tells them, the forensic analyst, that this hair would have required some force to extract from the head. So versus like, if you have a hair that's like dead, pretty much, it's going to just fall out pretty easily, like on its own, like those are the ones that you'll just find like people shedding hairs, you know, they can tell when they examine it, whether this hair was like likely just like shed from your head or like, no, this was like still a very healthy hair that was like rooted into your head that like would have taken yeah. some force, force to, you know, come out. So that hair was collected and taken into evidence inside the trunk. It was noted that the carpeted mat was missing. They found a collapsible baton in the trunk as well, which is considered a deadly weapon, and this would give police enough to get a warrant for Mario's arrest while they continued to investigate his suspected involvement in Christie's disappearance. Mario would be arrested on Friday of that week. At this point, as we said, it's Tuesday, so they're not arresting him until Friday. On Wednesday, which was just two days before his arrest, Mario worked remotely. He participated in a conference call in the morning, and he emailed his supervisor to explain the problems he was having due to, quote, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He told his supervisor that he had obtained an attorney. Mario's request to work remotely was then granted. That same day, Mario went back to the medical clinic and complained of poison oak. 
He also performed several Google searches using the term toxicology plus valley and visited a webpage discussing rave slash date rape drug toxicology tests for 23 seconds. Police would later testify that based on the witness's description of Christie at the casino, Christie exhibited symptoms consistent with consuming the date rape drug. Those symptoms were slow or slurred speech, upset stomach, diarrhea, amnesia, impaired motor skills, and a sleepy appearance. The surveillance footage did not show anyone drop anything in Christie's drink, but of course that doesn't mean it didn't happen. On Thursday that week, Mario worked at the data center. On Friday, he took a sick day claiming that he had medical problems. He actually went to the hospital and complained of chest pains. Mario's supervisor sent him an email asking him to return a laptop that belonged to the company, and Mario called and left a voicemail saying that he would. Later on that day, though, Mario was arrested on the weapons charge from the baton found in his trunk. When he was booked, he told the officers he had poison oak, which he got on Sunday, but then as the officer was about to make the note of what he said, Mario said, wait, actually, I got the poison oak two weeks earlier. So... Yeah, this guy is all about trying to establish this alibi. We still have more to get into after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Do you struggle with saving money every month? I know my husband and I do. Thanks to Rocket Money, though, you can quickly identify all those sneaky subscriptions that keep charging you month after month and cancel any you no longer use. It's such an easy way to start saving money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. There's nothing quite as frustrating as realizing you've been paying monthly for an app your kid begged you to download and you said yes, just for a moment's peace. Several dollars and months later, you still have the stupid thing. Rocket Money helps identify your subscriptions, and with just the push of a button, they can cancel the ones you don't need right away. Right now, the main thing I'm using Rocket Money for is budgeting and saving. There's something about seeing exactly how many times I've gone to McDonald's for Diet Cokes that make me realize I really need to rein it in. I also love that it shows me how much I've spent this week compared to last week, and it really feels like a win when I see that I've spent less. Rocket Money can also help you customize a budget based on past spending and can even send you spending notifications. And by implementing this, my husband and I spent 10% less this month than last month, which is really huge, especially around the holidays. With over 5 million users and counting, Rocket Money has helped save its customers an average of $720 a year and $1 billion in total savings so far. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com moms. That's rocketmoney.com moms. Rocketmoney.com slash moms. Today's sponsor, Nutrisense.com, uses a CGM, which is a small device that provides real-time feedback on how your body responds to the foods that you're eating, your exercise, stress, and even your sleep. How we feel physically is so important when it comes to how we feel mentally. If my body feels tired all the time, I'm crashing in the afternoons, and it's hard to feel good about myself and just life in general if I'm always sleeping. And while in my head, I know foods affect my mood and sleep and health, it's really easy to ignore it, especially around the holidays. But with Nutrisense.com, I'm able to see the link between my mood, sleep, and health and the foods I'm eating. And I'm able to make adjustments in my food in real time and see the results for myself. Seeing is believing. And with Nutrisense, you can begin to understand your glucose trends and see your macronutrient breakdown with each meal. And if you're like, that sounds like medical gibberish to me, that's okay. Your Nutrisense nutritionist can help you break it down in a way that works for you. 
At first I thought using NutriSense would be time consuming, but it's actually not. My CGM stays on and is sharing info about my glucose levels right to my phone. Then I can just take a picture of the foods I'm eating and NutriSense gives me immediate feedback to help me in the future or encourage the decisions I'm making when it comes to food. Go to NutriSense.com moms and use code moms to save $30 and get one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to tell them you learned about NutriSense.com from the Moms and Mysteries podcast. Just like Lenny Kravitz, I want to get away. I want to fly away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while I'm stuck on the ground for now, I can settle for a new kind of journey, all with a fun mobile game. Step into the enchanting world of June Parker with June's Journey, where a spectacular adventure awaits you. And the best part? No plane tickets needed. Bid farewell to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a realm where intrigue dances with elegance, all thanks to the drama-filled escapades of our charming heroine, June Parker. Whether you crave a captivating mystery or simply wish to escape the humdrum of daily life, June's journey is your portal to excitement. Join June on her quest to uncover hidden family secrets and navigate the tangled web surrounding her sister's demise. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and dive into a world where each corner holds a new clue and every twist leaves you on the edge of your seat. But hold on to your pearls because June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm knee deep in the fifth chapter and each section is really more delightful than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect oozes sophistication and refinement. So don't hesitate any longer, step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure unfold. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. And now back to the episode. Before the break, police have arrested this man, Mario Garcia, in connection with the disappearance of Christy Wilson. They're building this case against him. His alibi is that he fell out of a tree, and this has caused all these injuries to his face, including some pretty significant ones to his eye, which the experts are saying is more consistent with getting punched in the face. So the investigators and forensic experts think that Mario looks pretty suspicious, and they are continuing to build a case against him. Eventually, the hair that was found in the car was determined to be a match for Christy. The car was searched again on October 17th, and another human hair was found during a tape lift, which is where they use tape to try and pick up tiny evidence from difficult spaces like carpet. And they also found another human hair in the rear passenger floorboard. Mitochondrial DNA testing could not exclude Christy as the source of this hair. Mario's car was then turned over to the Department of Justice for further examination. They found five small stains on the rear seat that tested presumptively positive for blood. A criminalist determined that the stains were consistent with a splatter and could be caused by scratching. The splatter also occurred at a medium to high velocity when the car door was open, and it was also consistent with happening during one single event. DNA testing on these blood spots revealed a mixture of two people, and those two people turned out to be Mario himself and Christy. Christy's DNA was also found on the rear interior door handle on the driver's side, as well as on another interior door. At this point, officers believe that Christy was no longer alive, but they weren't sure exactly what happened to her. One theory that the police shared with 48 Hours was that Mario had offered to drive Christy home or to drive her over to her own car, which was parked further away, and then at some point, she was incapacitated inside of Mario's car. 
Continued efforts to find her body were unsuccessful, but after three weeks of looking, authorities decided to go ahead and charge Mario with her murder anyway. This was the first time they would ever be prosecuting a murder case with no body. Christy's mom was really not sure about this move. She was scared that without a body, Mario would end up being acquitted, and that would mean he would be free to go on to hurt other women. That has to be, like, such a hard thing to, like, you know, and it's not your decision yeah. as the parent. You know, this is all up to the authorities, like, how they're going to go about this, but it's like, oh, my gosh. It's like, on one hand, you're happy that they want to do everything in their power to try and get him, but right. then, like, on the other hand, it's like, what if this backfires and doesn't work? And then once you're acquitted, you're acquitted, and, like, you know, you can't be tried Double again jeopardy. for this. Yeah, exactly. So I can totally understand how unsettling that would be. Well, on top of that, at this point, you know the family knows that what he's been convicted of before and he's gotten off before. He got 18 months of probation, so they know he would do this again, and they know that he's gotten off easy. So I can't even imagine hearing hearing this and and knowing that it's their first time trying to do this. Like, that that would be terrifying. So as part of the process of building a solid case, investigators had an arborist go to Mario's property to try and determine if this story about this tree branch could actually be true. So the expert found a broken willow branch, but said he believed it had fallen down due to wind or rain. He also checked for poison oak, but he found none on his first trip. On his second trip, he did find some poison oak near some oak trees, but there was no broken branch from which Mario could have fallen, which leads me to believe that he may have had poison oak, but I fully believe that was a deliberate thing. He did for to confuse sure. if he all did, the other stuff. Yeah, then he intentionally came into contact with it. Just Absolutely. To, yeah, to build to his confuse own things. alibi. Yeah. Right, yeah. So doctors were also asked to weigh in on whether they thought Mario's injuries were consistent with his story. An ER doctor named Connie Mitchell found that Mario's injuries did not come from falling out of a tree, but actually seemed more consistent with a struggle and being scratched in close quarters. She said a corneal abrasion was more likely due to an assaultive encounter than an accident, and that the parallel pattern of abrasions was more likely from scratches than a tree branch. Mandy, don't know if you know this about me, but I had a corneal abrasion um, many years ago when my daughter was one and we were playing the game point to my nose point to my ears point to my eye she scratched my eye like you know a little kid just doesn't know and like touch my eye corneal abrasion so painful oh my gosh but like it makes sense like it's the exact same thing the the little nail that scratches you or whatever not a freaking tree branch or whatever that was just a side note so mario's injuries were consistent with blunt force trauma and grabbing of soft tissue He had a classic what they call claw injury, and the bruises on his arms were suggestive of a bite mark, not a fall. Additionally, Mario didn't have any notable injuries to his back or legs like you would expect in a fall, especially if he, like, say he even just fell directly on his arms, he would have broken something. Like, you know, you're not going to land that way. So another doctor who was a dermatologist, he was consulted and told authorities that poison oak is an allergic dermatitis that's characterized by red lesions with blistering that generally appears 18 to 48 hours after exposure. Okay, didn't know that. 
did the not time? know that it takes that long. I didn't that either. Blew I thought it was my like mind. an instant thing. Well, I maybe not instant, but I would think within like minutes. 30 minutes or yeah. yeah, or something like that you would definitely notice it right away cuz I always think about that when I go out like hiking and stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, "Oh, hopefully I don't come into contact with anything." It blows my mind that like you might not know it for two more days and then like by then I would have forgotten like if I possibly I would came be into so contact confused with it. on where I would it came too. from. <laughs> and I would never think it was that, right? Cuz uh, you're right. it's two days before. I I totally agree that was that threw me off as well if mario was exposed on october 2nd as he said he would have had symptoms and itching by the 5th but the medical records from that date didn't mention poison oak the dermatologist further pointed out that poison oak doesn't cause bruising so obviously the bruises on mario's arm didn't come from that Another interesting thing the officers noticed was that Mario's injuries looked almost identical to the injuries that Christy's boyfriend Danny had after the physical altercation he and Christy got into months prior that ended with police being called, meaning she had been attacked at, you know, whatever at some point, and she fought back in the exact same way, which kind of blew my mind to learn that fact. Yeah, Mario's trial began in September of 2006. The jury was not allowed to hear about his history with Wendy or about the accident that killed Lynette and Violet. Wendy did attend the trial, though, to show her support for Christie's family. Wendy and Christie's mom, Debbie, later became close and actually started teaching classes together for homicide investigators. Since there was no body, the case against Mario was entirely circumstantial. Prosecutors wanted to first show that Christie's disappearance meant that she was dead. They had to prove that first and foremost. And secondly, they had to also prove that Mario was the reason that Christie was dead. They didn't know exactly how it happened, but it was likely that Christie was attacked in the parking lot of the casino. She likely put up a fight, but was overpowered by Mario, who ended up killing her and disposing of her body. Mario's defense claimed he had nothing at all to do with Christie's disappearance and that there wasn't enough evidence to convict him. They said Christie could still be out there somewhere and even suggested that her boyfriend Danny might be the one responsible. Mario took the stand and he denied killing, raping, or kidnapping Christie, and he maintained that he had nothing to do with any part of her disappearance. He said he was certain that she was not in his car at any point, and he couldn't explain the presence of her DNA inside the car. He also said that doing things like detailing and washing his car and making trips to the dump, these were all just normal things for him that he did on a regular basis. He also said that the mat that goes in the trunk, the one that the police said was missing, had actually always been missing, and the baton they found was part of his son's martial arts gear. He insisted that his injuries were, in fact, from falling out of a willow tree. Mario was ultimately found guilty of first-degree murder and possession of a deadly weapon with the qualification that he was already a felon prior to this conviction. Christie's mom, Debbie, felt a rush of relief when she learned that Mario would be taken to prison. She told reporters that justice had been served and that if Mario was any kind of a man, he would tell authorities where Christie's body was. The hope was that Mario might reveal what he did with Christie's remains in exchange for a lesser sentence. After his conviction, but before his sentencing, Mario spoke with 48 Hours and again claimed his innocence and said that he and Christie had only played blackjack together that night and they both left at the same time, which was 1 a.m. He said they walked to his car, but she never got inside of it, and then she realized she left her phone in the casino, so they hugged each other and they parted ways. 
Mario said he had no interest in dating Christy, and he even said that at his age at the time, he was 54, the last thing on his mind was having sex with anybody due to his heart condition and blood pressure medication. He said that sex was a planned activity for him and that also he was happily married. Mario suggested that Christy could have met someone else in the parking lot or that maybe her boyfriend was responsible. He admitted to cleaning his car after going to the casino, but he questioned how the police didn't find anyone else's DNA, like maybe his wife or his sons, but they were able to find Christie's. This was clearly a suggestion that the police had planted this evidence in his car. Mario also denied ever attacking Wendy, and she made up the allegations and he pleaded guilty because he had no choice. As for Lynette and her mom, Violet, Mario said he wasn't even driving that night and he had nothing to do with that either. He only got an attorney because it was the right thing to do, and that his legal counsel advised him not to talk to police in the case. Mario's sentencing hearing was in January of 2007. Christy's family gave impact statements with her sister talking about how difficult it was to know that Christy's last moments must have been terrifying and full of helplessness at the knowledge that she was going to die. Her father said he would miss not being able to walk his daughter down the aisle or to have grandchildren. Christy's stepfather said, quote, I have no doubt that you will kill again. And for that, I thank my daughter for her bravery, her fight, and I love her very much. I have little goosebumps just reading that. That was so powerful. So Mario responded, quote, I suppose that at this hearing, I'm supposed to ask for mercy, for forgiveness, and to show remorse. However, I will do no such a thing. I did not kill Christy Wilson. I am innocent, end quote. So Mario was sentenced to a combined 59 years to life in state prison for all the charges he was found guilty of. He appealed his conviction and sentences multiple times, but was always denied. Although Mario's trial was over and Christie's family felt like justice was served, they still felt deeply sad by the fact they had not found Christie's body. Her mom wondered whether her daughter was in the ocean or just in a ditch somewhere, and she said she never went to bed without thinking about where Mario had put her. The two main detectives that worked the case were equally perplexed by the lack of a body, and they wanted to help find Christy so that her family could close that chapter. Multiple searches were conducted over the years, but none were successful at finding Christy. This has always been so such an interesting part of the story to me because or in any story where they have trouble finding the body, right? Because of how this doesn't appear to be, obviously, it wasn't a planned murder, right? This mm-hmm. all just happened very quickly that night. We don't know exactly what happened in the final moments that the you know they were together or what the police think may have happened. Right. But in these cases, it's like, how does somebody get rid of a body successfully and they don't find it on such short notice? Like, that's what I always, to me, I'm like how long has this person like been thinking up a place to hide a bot? You know what I'm saying? Like that's to me is like terrifying. I'm like, cause what could someone have done with it without any planning and preparation Mm -hmm. and leave no signs like that Mm -hmm. to me was like so mind blowing. By 2017, Christy's mom was so desperate that she reached out to Mario through a CBS interview. She had just said in this interview, she said that she now viewed him as a lost soul and said, quote, I want him to know I often wonder how he ever became the man that he did. If Mario were to pass away with me not having had the opportunity to sit and just talk with him, I know I would forever regret it. 
So Mario heard about the interview and he ended up starting to write letters to Debbie and to the Placer County authorities after he hears her in this interview. So in these letters, he apologized to Debbie for what she had gone through, but he once again said that he was not responsible. In one letter, Mario said he would do anything if he could go home to die surrounded by his family. Debbie actually considered bargaining with Mario for a while, but then she decided against it. She said that knowing where her daughter's body was, you know, Christie's body was not a bargaining chip for Mario's early release from prison. Which was exactly what he was trying to hint at. Exactly. In 2017, Tony Lopez from CBS 13 sent a letter to Mario asking if he would reveal where he put Christie's body. But Mario only responded, quote, I'm sorry she went missing. A short time later, a detective visited Mario in prison, and at this time, Mario finally confessed to Christie's murder, but he did not disclose where he put her. After his official confession, one of Mario's sons ended up coming forward and told the police that his dad had actually been acting in a very strange way in the days after Christie went missing. He spent a lot of time in the yard digging on his tractor. He was so focused on his digging that he even refused to go to one of his son's soccer games. The detectives asked his son to go back to this old family property where they lived and to show them exactly where they had seen, you know, their dad working on the tractor. In August of 2020, they brought in ground-penetrating radar to search that area, and they did and find some suspicious spots. The authorities began excavating these areas of concern, and eventually they did find Christie's body. Even though cadaver dogs had been brought through the area before, they never picked up on anything. But as we've said before, cadaver dogs are just like any other investigative tool. They're not 100% accurate. You know, just like people, you know, dogs make mistakes or they miss things. Right. Detectives immediately flew to Arizona, where Debbie and Pat were living, and told them they had found Christie's body. Her family was completely overwhelmed. They had been hoping for this news for 15 years. Debbie told 48 Hours, quote, We found Christy. This is a day that we had hoped for. My prayers have been answered. We can now move forward without the torment of the last 15 years, end quote. Debbie's husband, Pat, said, quote, investigators brought two people home. They brought my daughter home. They brought my wife home. Pat is killing me with all of his quotes. They're just breaking my heart here. I know. And it always amazes me whenever you hear families who have lost somebody like so close to them and some of the things like the most beautiful things that they say, it just it really does touches you. It really does. So the prosecution credited Debbie with turning grief into action. They said that she never gave up. She kept asking questions and kept making follow-ups with them. An autopsy concluded that Christie's hand and nose were broken, but no cause of death was actually determined. It was thought that she likely died of strangulation, but they couldn't prove it. Christie's parents had her remains cremated and told 48 Hours that finding Christie's body changed everything and allowed them to grieve the way they should have been able to 15 years earlier. Debbie said, quote, there's peace about that. I was blessed to be your mom for 27 years and that I will carry with me forever, end quote. Mario died in prison in December of 2020 due to complications from pneumonia. Mandy, this story, we talked about this on mic, blew my mind because both of us thought early on that it was the boyfriend. You know, yes, they've had physical altercations. She goes missing. He doesn't call anybody for two days. 
you know, there's so many things. Like, this guy was beyond lucky that all of this was on camera. 100%. Because they could have zeroed in on him. Absolutely. Very easily. It is wild to think about how it could be different without that evidence. Like you said, he is very, very lucky. Um you know, because he was innocent. He didn't have anything to do with it. Again, this is my vote for uh, more security cameras. You know, 100%. Like, clear. And the part also that was so frustrating to me is like, this was a casino. And like, they obviously did have cameras in the parking lot. But when we get to the part where they're like, oh, the police can't really tell exactly what happened after this part, because we just don't, we only have bits and pieces. And I'm like, dang it. Why? Why is right. this still a thing? Why don't we have complete like view of the entire area that these people were interacting in like it's so frustrating to me that it's like the moments that you need to see are often Mm -hmm. the ones that oh they were just out of sight of the camera and it's like how is that possible like it's it's it drives me crazy it really does like how is it possible that people just like walk out of view of the camera that most likely they didn't even know was there in the first place and like it's just so frustrating a hundred percent yeah i just but I mean, I'm not all for like cameras everywhere, but I say where we have cameras, if we could just make them well, HD right. or something, come on. Right. But in like dark parking lots, like I feel like that's okay to have a complete Please. view of the whole parking lot. Like, you know. I know. <laughs> it's it's maddening. Yeah. But I'm very yeah. glad that her family was able to to find her body, which as terrible and as that sounds, closure. obviously, yes. yeah, that's, that's what they were looking for and that's what they needed to be able to move on, so – Yeah, definitely. Okay, Melissa, are you ready to move on to our little last thing before we go for the week? Yes, if you're new to last thing before we go, it's kind of a palate cleanser at the end, just something a little different to talk about besides the story to end on. This is definitely different. (laughs) Mandy, do you want to say what we are discussing? And I'm so excited about this. Okay, so I'm super excited because like you said, it's been like a little while since we've recorded. We've enjoyed our holiday. We just had like a week off. And I've taken some time to watch a couple of different documentaries and documentary Mm -hmm. series. First one I watched, Melissa, Twin Flames. Love. We're going to talk about that further a little bit later in the month on Patreon. Patreon. Patreon (laughs) Patreon.com slash Moms and Mysteries Podcast. We're breaking that down. Yes. As well as like the whole story behind it, not just like the documentary, but that will come into play. Of course. So then you told me that there was another really interesting one that Mm -hmm. I should check out. This is after I told you I've already watched and enjoyed Twin Flames and thought it was just the wildest thing I've ever seen. And you're like, hey, Mandy, I got another wild thing for you. It's going to blow your mind even wilder, Mm -hmm. wilder than Twin Flames. Melissa, what was your suggestion? This is Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God. This is a docuseries on HBO Max, or no, it's just Max now. Mm -hmm. I hate that they did that. But it's actually a very recent cult that happened, like literally 2020-ish. Okay, so Mother of God is this girl, this lady. Not of God. Oh, Mother Mother God. God. (laughs) Mother God. Is this lady named Amy Carlson. There's actually been a Dr. Phil on her because, of course, after I watched the three episodes that are out, I was like, I got to learn more. And I watched a Dr. Phil with her. She's this, I mean, I guess she's Mother God. Uh, according to her she has a father god she but he changes you can change him like a sock like whatever you (laughs) when you get sick of one father god you go find a new father god it's like very what is it that they even believe really they just believe that she's mother god she's god it's weird yeah they believe in like most christian concepts except they just believe that she is god oh yeah she was jesus 
God being God. Yeah, she's God mm-hmm. and Jesus. And it all makes sense to these people. Well, the people who follow her, it makes a lot of sense to them, including the one guy who literally said, like, when he first heard about Mother God, it made total sense to him. That's the thing. I feel like I would have to be, like, walked into this very slowly. Like, you couldn't tell me immediately she was Mother God. It would take a lot for me to get there. But they're like, this is Mother God. And these people are like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Just not just that her, but the concept that – um, God was a woman that was living on the planet with us. Like the guy, like there was a guy in the documentary who said he heard that and was like, no, I get that. And so yeah. he read something about that resonated with him. So uh, he became a follower. She had, did she have many? I didn't, maybe I didn't catch how many people exactly were. I can't, Im- wait, Following were her? father gods? Oh, or yeah. Or so it's like a YouTube were- thing. There's like lots of people who are kind of involved and actually in different countries, which I found out later. Then they started selling products. Melissa, they're, like, they're always selling. Like, cults are always going to sell products. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You got to get that dollar. So we haven't even talked about the first five minutes. I told you I started oh. watching this and like I was not ready. So like you gave me the suggestion. I started watching it like right away like that day. But then I had to get up and like I wanted to cook. So I was kind of in the kitchen listening with one ear. Mm-mm. And um, – I like walked back in at one point and I see the most alarming thing. I was like, what am I looking at? What am I looking at? What am I looking at? Yeah. So the (laughs) mother God has passed at this point. That's like news. That's like if you Google it, you'll find that out. So this is not a spoiler. But we literally start the documentary with walking in. So it's like right now it's three parts. I don't know how many more it's going to be. The police walking in, police cam footage, walking into mother God's bedroom there's christmas lights aplenty there's um all kinds of like beautiful like hippie colors i, I say beautiful but i really just mean like hippie colors everywhere it and looks like a ch- like a child's little room. kid's bedroom that they're like i'm gonna string some lights up here and i'm gonna mm-hmm. hang my little artwork over here and like it was very eclectic there you go. That's the word. And uh, then you realize you can't really tell what you're looking at, but then you learn that what you're looking at laying in this bed is a mummified human who's been there for several weeks and has, I think, crystals where her eyes were. Is that right? Crystals? I don't know. Her I eyes aren't there and then there's something else. Eyeshadow. I swear. I thought there was just like eye glitter something eyeshadow on the eyelids. Melissa, I didn't analyze the like actual face. No, I Googled it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't. Once I had to I keep saw going. I a glimpse of it. Yes, they showed it. They show. They show with a shocking image of Mother God's mummified body on the television. <laughs> I was yeah, not like, prepared. So I shut it off and I had to go watch it again a couple days later. <laughs> I know. When Mandy was like, I didn't make it further. I was like, you're not going to believe this, but it somehow gets even wilder. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you guys this, but Robin Williams is involved. He like speaks to her. That's like one of her like main. Some of them are watching old Robin Williams movies in the background. Like it's so hard. To- and if you're like, Robin Williams, the actor? Yes, Robin uh-huh, Williams, that the one. actor. Yeah. That one. That one, Marilyn Monroe. Like, anyone you think of, she has been before. Yes. But, like, only really popular ones. She, she like, was never a nobody. She's always been the person, which I guess makes sense if you think your mother God. But anyway, it's, it's wild and, like, people it's are still involved wild. in this. And, like, she's passed on. So, like, I feel like they're even coming to grips with – well, not really. They just believe whatever she said. But it, it's it's just this journey of her, like, becoming sick. She had major problems with uh, alcohol. Addiction. And a, yes. Huge 
issues there, but nobody nobody believes that. They believe that because right. she's retaining all the problems of the world on her, that's like a big thing. That's it's why she's making so her sick. sick. And this is part of her ascension. So oh, she, ascension, yes. She's going word. on, right? That's her whole thing. They're helping her ascend, which – Oh my gosh, we are all over the place talking about this. You know why? Because there's literally so much to say. There's so much to say. There's so much to talk, to talk about with this story. Uh, there's Cult not- of Mother God. <laughs> you guys have to go watch it. Like, honestly, I can't, I don't even know I where mean, to go or what else to say about it. It no. really is truly wild. But but be prepared because you will see a mummified, mummified body. person but you, in the first like five minutes of but this But you thing. can't really tell what it is. We have told you, but you you really yes. – like I didn't even understand after I watched it and I was like, what? And then but I had the to like Google the wildest thing is that the people living in the house are still just like walking around chilling in there and they're like, no, she is going to return to this body. And once right. you see the body, you're like, okay – I think she's gone. What now. is going on here? Yeah. Robin Williams and her have have ascended. They're out of. And here. the police obviously were taken aback by the as whole one thing. should be. It's oh my gosh, <laughs> we're both just holding our faces. That's how it is. So if you've watched it, let us know. Um, I don't know how many more again episodes there's going to be, but I yes. will be watching them as closely as Absolutely. possible. Absolutely, yes. Always happy to get Mandy in on a new thing. I knew I could get her with this one. This one. So did I, no one's been wild. arrested? No one's no, been several arrested. people have been arrested, but not for her death. For like crimes like related to a corpse and like okay. child abuse because the kids there. So there right. is like definitely things. crimes right yeah especially the last father god is involved with something he's oh, the oh my gosh he is wildest the one wildest one mm-hmm. never wildest seen that one. man wear a shirt he doesn't wear a shirt he doesn't believe in them i don't know he might believe in them but based it's on what weird. i saw he it's weird that is the word of the day for this uh thing so <laughs> watch it tell us about it uh ugh. but just like let us be know. prepared yeah. to absolutely lose your mind yeah yes yes all right all right. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. So again, <laughs> for the uh, we have more episodes, obviously, throughout this year. We'll have some time off around Christmas, but new episodes until then. Um, thank you guys so much for yes. listening and We're coming back and hope back. you had a great holiday. Yep. Absolutely. All right, guys. That was everything for this week. We will see you again next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.